Good morning, family. That's what we are, right? We're family. We, got, we all have the same loving Father. Amen. The words that we were just read, some of my favorite words in Scripture, when Jesus says, I am willing. That's a good word. I am willing. Well, we've been, uh, we've been doing a series most of the year about the... the uh, about who God is and the character qualities of God. And uh, today we're going to talk about the God of peace. The God of peace. And um, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard a, a parent say how much they enjoy it when, when their children, uh, siblings, fight and argue with each other? You ever heard that? Me neither. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about my mom, I'll, I've never heard my mom say how glad she feels that my brothers and sister and I and our families eat, all live in four different states or sometimes countries. I've never heard her say how much she likes for us to be separated. Uh, no, instead, my mom does, works very hard to try to keep us in con communication. She writes emails updating us on, she'll talk to everybody on the phone and then she'll write an email updating how everybody's doing and send it out to all of us. Um, because for her, she wants our family to be whole, together, unified. Um, I know that my, probably my parents' favorite thing in all the world is when we have a family reunion and all of us, their children, their grandchildren, are all together. That's the picture you see up there is, is the Miller clan. And uh, you can tell it's a few years old uh, because it's been a few years since all the cousins especially have gotten together, but we're hoping to get together at Christmas. Uh, all, I don't know how many there are, 28 or 30, you can count them. But um, that's my parents' heart. They, they just... They love unity in their family. And they don't want anything to, to separate us. They like peace, wholeness. And you know what? God feels the same way about us, his children, his church. Amen? Um, there, are a lot of, there are verses in the Bible that talk about the God of peace. Romans 15.33 says this, The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And um, that word peace, peace has a, has a lot of meanings, right? And uh, we can't uh, discuss every part of, every aspect of peace today. We'd be here all afternoon. But um, the Greek word, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It looks like Irene, Irene. Anyway, the Greek word, uh, the Strong's definition, definitions for it, one, Peace means being one, united. Peace, quietness, rest. Um, there's, a, there's a meaning, uh, the Jewish people used it as a, as a greeting and a farewell, right? Similar to the Hebrew word shalom. Um, the, it also has to do with the overall welfare, well-being of somebody or some group. And it means wholeness. 
I like the helps word studies definition for it. It comes from a root word that means to join, tie together into a whole. That's what peace is. Uh, when all the essential parts are joined together, that's God's peace, God's gift of wholeness. So we can think of peace as being whole. We can talk about peace in our heart on an individual level like we are whole. There's nothing getting in there that's dividing my heart. Worry, fear, anger, whatever. Uh, but today we want to especially uh, focus on peace in our relationships. The wholeness uh, that God wants in his family among his people. Last week Tom taught about God's good kind of jealousy for us because we are his bride, right? And I think one thing, for our sakes and his, God does not want his bride to suffer from multiple personalities disorder. Or we used to say split personality or schizophrenia. Um, that, that's, a, that's a horrible kind of illness and uh, in his church, God doesn't want us uh, divided like that. He wants us united for his sake and for ours. Uh, yet, in reality, we often see a lack of wholeness in the church as a whole between denominations and different congregations uh, within co a congregation itself. Within our families, our Christian families, we see division and arguing, fighting, and disagreement. Uh, within marriages, that can be a big struggle. Uh, within families and uh, within our communities, we, we see it on a big level in our country these days, right? Seems less and less peace in our country. Um, we need the God of peace to be with us to give us peace, amen? It's, uh, it's interesting to look at the other verses uh, where the God is called the God of peace. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I like that one. It's also an interesting contrast. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. Uh, so peace has to do with uh, defeating the enemy. I like that. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, it says. Philippians 4.9 Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so there's things that we put into practice that enable the God of peace to be with us. And that's a good promise that he will be with us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctify means set you apart for him. Make you holy. Uh, cause you to be obedient and righteous uh, in how you live. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace has to do with, there we see wholeness again. Your whole spirit, soul, and body, every aspect of you 
tied together in righteousness, in holiness, blameless, uh, not broken up by any kind of thing. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it talks about, first of all, that the God of peace, uh, he brought back Jesus from the dead. And I think that's the key to our peace is what Jesus did on the cross and his, his death and resurrection brings us peace. And that, uh, that he is the one who does these things. He equips us with everything good for doing his will and doing what pleases him. Uh, that's a promise that the work is finished. The work was finished through Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what has equipped us to do his will and be pleasing to him. So a question is, uh, then what are these things? Because these things are going to bring us peace, and especially well, in our hearts, but also in our relationships with one another. And, uh, and how do we access them? How are we enabled? Uh, I hope that we get from this morning to see that it's not something we work up in our own selves, but that the peace of God in our hearts and the peace in our relationships with one another is something that God provides for us because he is the God of peace. And so we're going to look at Colossians 3, starting at verse 12. It talks about peace, and it starts this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you, do you see yourself as holy? Do you see yourself as dearly loved? Are you understanding that you are dearly loved? You are holy. And it's, it's because of what? It's because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. But it's important to understand and believe the truth. It's true, but if we lack that understanding, we may not be walking in it. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, see those five things? It says clothe yourselves with them. In other words, put them on like you put your clothes on in the morning. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. That's the big overcoat. Over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Notice what the verbs that are used there. First of all, it says let. 
sorry, this is a new microphone and it hasn't been tamed yet, I think. It keeps bouncing around. Uh, <laughs> let, let the peace of Christ. That's something that you do. You allow it. You don't, you don't work up the peace of Christ, but you yield to it. You allow, we al- allow the peace of Christ to do what? To rule. Now, you, you may have heard this before, but the verb there that's used in the Greek means to umpire, like in a sports event. To, to be in charge, to make the call. And so the peace of God is something that you allow to be in charge in your heart to make decisions about how you relate to things, how you receive things, how you react to things. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Oh, by the way, and be thankful. That's an important part. Now, I see here that everyone here this morning is clothed. And that's a very good thing. Glad, glad you are. Glad I am too. And uh, we are also, we are God's chosen, dearly loved people. We're beautiful, right? In God's eyes, he's made us that way. He created us and he redeemed us by the blood of Jesus, Right? But evidently, we also need to be clothed. And all the same, we need to be clothed. What are we clothed with? We're clothed with godly character qualities, attitudes, words, and deeds that we do. Let's go back and look at the list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness for others. And over all these, put on love, which binds them all together. All right, so I would suggest this. The fact that you are chosen and loved by God means you have the proper clothes. You're not like a person. Sometimes at school, we have a, like an elementary student comes to school out of dress code. In the middle of the year, it's not a new student. And we say, well, well what's the matter? I didn't have anything to wear. All my clothes are in the wash. I don't know. You know? No, you've got clothes. You know, did you ever feel, oh, I don't have anything to wear? But your, your closet is full. And spiritually speaking, it's the same way. Somebody says, well, I'm just an impatient person. I can't, I can't help it. I, I got it from my father. Well, who is your father now? <laughs> If there's something that's controlling you that's impatient, tell it to go. It's not you anymore. You have authority. Tell it to go. But God, the God of peace, is the one who has given you patience. I would suggest that uh, a Christian walking around in unforgiveness is like a person walking around without their pants on. Well, that's one way to look at what it's saying, right? Yeah, you're saved, but that's totally inappropriate. And it's destructive, right? No, it's, here's the image. God, has, God is living in you, and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has put himself in you, and all of the character qualities that we need to walk in peace with one another are in us. It's like you're your closet, your wardrobe, your dresser, you are full of these character qualities, 
but we, but we do need to put them on. And sometimes we forget to, I guess. You know, we don't forget to put our pants on, thank goodness. We don't forget to put a shirt on. But there's another kind of clothing ourselves that we need to do every day. But we've got the clothes. Through Christ living in you, we are equipped. We've got it. In the church, we need peace in relationships with one another. And I would suggest greater peace will come to the church if we let the Lord and the clear teachings of his word, the Bible, be the judge of our teaching, our doctrine. Doctrine is a word just means teaching about, about the Bible. And if we value relationships with our brothers and sisters more than propping up the views or opinions that we hold. Um, Romans, in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. That's the, uh, that's the NIV. That word, without quarreling over, the word is disputable matters. Uh, I looked at a couple other translations here too. Uh, the New Living Translation says it this way, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In the English Standard Version, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So I like those different ways of translating it. Disputable matters, what they think is right or wrong. How am I doing now? Not so good. So, no quarreling over disputable matters. What, what somebody thinks is right or wrong. Opinions. There are different things. You know, uh, to be sure... There are some doctrines or teachings in the, church, in the Bible that are non-negotiable, okay? First of all, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Repentance of sins is necessary. So there, there are some teachings, you've got to believe that to be a Christian, right? So they're, they're not negotiable. They're very clear in the Bible and they, they affect our salvation. 1 Corinthians 11.19 says, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Okay, so he's saying in the congregation, he's talking to the Corinthian church, in the congregation, you are going to bump into some people who, who aren't saved. They don't believe the truth about salvation, the non-negotiable th- doctrines. Um, however, there are other teachings or doctrines in, 
in the church that, that are mistaken, but do not keep a person from salvation. For example, let's take the belief, there, there are some people who believe that the gifts of the, gifts of the Spirit have ceased today. Now, I believe that's a, that's a, that really contradicts some pretty clear scriptures. And, but the, actually, there are a lot of Christians who espouse that doctrine, who, who believe it, and they're still, they still have a relationship with Jesus, and they're going to heaven. However, uh, they're, they're missing out on part of what God's will is for them, but they have a relationship with the Lord. Okay? So, um, what does it say about that? Well, Philippians three fifteen and 16 says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, you're gonna, we're going to meet people, other Christians, maybe other congregations, that we feel like they are missing it on this, this teaching that, that we see in the Bible. But, but they believe uh, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and rose again and that we need to repent and put our faith in him and we're saved by his grace. And so I think what it's saying is that we should not not uh, try to uh, have dialogue and discussion with them about what the Bible says, but it is saying we don't cut them off and say, you're not my brother, I'm not going to fellowship with you because you believe this doctrinal point differently than I do. But they, no, we recognize them as brothers and sisters. We continue to love them. Maybe we pray for them and, and pray that they will come to a better understanding. Maybe, maybe we take opportunity to, uh, to help them to see other things in Scripture, right? But they are our brothers and sisters. And to God, he wants us to be in unity. And so we don't cut them off. And we don't make it a point like, well, they're the enemy. And, uh, and so I need to argue with them. Okay? Um, but because I, I like that promise because Paul says... Yeah, if they think differently, that too God will make, <laughs> make clear to them. Okay, and he's putting it on God to help change somebody's viewpoint if they're mistaken. Um, then there are still other teachings that are not clearly explained in Scripture. And actually, we would do well not to try to impose them on our brothers and sisters. God does not call all of us to the same habits and methods, nor are we all walking at the same level of maturity in our Christian lives all at once. God asks each of us to live by faith with a sincere conscience and to genuinely love one another. In other words, uh, like if you're a parent, do you treat all of your children the same? Do they all learn the same way? Do they all have the same uh, personality? Uh, if, you, if one child is struggling with obeying something, do you discipline every child the same way? I don't think so, right? And God doesn't necessarily do that with us because just like each child in your family is not the same, uh, 
each of God's children, each of us, does not have the same personalities, gifts, callings, uh, and other aspects of our personalities that um, he's not calling us all, even what culture we came out of, what our preferences are, there are different things. Um, And so we do well to keep those things that are opinions or what Paul called disputable matters, don't argue about them um, because God is not calling everybody to the same habits and methods. Um, Each believer has one Lord and his name is Jesus. And thank goodness I am not your Lord and you are not my Lord. He is the Lord of all of us. And aside from parental and other kinds of authority that God delegates, we are not each other's masters. Thank goodness. Paul explains it in Romans 14. It starts out with the verse we looked at. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. In other words, it's not a good thing to quarrel about doctrinal issues that aren't clear. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. How many times do we find that? Usually in the church today, we're not talking about what kind of food we eat. Not too many people sacrifice meat to idols anymore. But we have other, there are other issues that we might we might judge. Oh, here I'll give one for example. Is it okay to drink wine or beer or, or alcohol? And we know that you're not supposed to get drunk, but there are some Christians say, no, no, no alcohol at all. And others say, no, Jesus made alcohol when he turned water into wine. Why? You know? Um, here's the point. Uh, are, are we who... Somebody who says, uh, I think it's okay to drink in moderation. Are we having contempt for those who do not? Or someone who says it's, it's not okay, are you judging your brother who does and who does so in faith? Then both of those attitudes are wrong. Why? Because it's not love. Uh, verse three. They must not Judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. There's another great verse in the Bible. That's a promise. What a promise. They will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. In other words, God, in this area of life, God has led them differently than he has led you. Or either that or he's got them, they're on a different level of maturity and he hasn't gotten to that issue in their life yet. Uh, But you know what? He is able to make them stand. You You can pray for them. You may lovingly have a chance to talk with them and discuss this issue. But ultimately, if the Bible is not very clear about it, Don't impose what you think 
God wants you to do on another person if the Bible's not that clear on it. You understand what I'm saying? You understand the distinctions I'm drawing here? All right, going on to verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Do you understand? So why are they doing these things? They're doing them for the Lord. They're doing them uh, out of faith. They're serving God. One person serves God with his freedom uh, to, to, uh, to eat. Thank God. Uh, I, I'm free from, from the law and all its regulations. The other person says, no, I, I want to do this for the Lord. I want to not eat this uh, f- for God's glory. Okay. They're both doing it out of faith for the Lord and a sincere heart. And that's what the Lord is looking for in, in an area like that. And they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Okay? Um, verse 7. For none of us lives to our... For, I'm sorry. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live... We live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So what's it saying? It's saying, let Christ be your Lord. Let Christ also be the Lord of your brother and sister. Right? So, uh, so does that mean we never speak to somebody about an issue? No. But if we do so, first of all, we better make sure that the Lord wants us to. Okay? Or is it just my opinion? Is it just my preference that this person is offending? Or is this something that the Lord wants to change in that person? And secondly, is the Lord wanting me to talk to that person right now, to change them right now in this matter? Right? Maybe the most important thing, why am I doing this? Am I doing this out of love? Or for some other reason? Because that's the most important thing. Uh, he's, remember, he says, over all things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You know, if somebody is mistaken in a certain area, or if somebody needs to grow in a certain area, uh, do you think the Lord cares about that, if it's really an issue? I would say so. Do you think he is able to coordinate the best way to change that person and to grow that person? Uh, again, I think so. Does he want to use you? Well, he, we, we need to check with the Lord about that. And I'm talking about disputable matters, right? Otherwise, love them. Well, in any case, love them. Okay, one more thing. 
what about the denominational divisions that are already in place in the body of Christ? Is there already a lack of peace that is irreparable? What about marriage and family relationships that have already been harmed, people estranged, brokenness by a lack of peace? Is there any hope for that? How can we overcome barriers and divisions that already exist between us as groups or as individuals or as families? That's, a, that's an important question, right? Because there's a lot of brokenness already in the church, in the world, in, in our own lives, in our own relationships. I know we can, each of us can think of someone whom it's difficult to have that peace with. Someone who maybe there is uh, hardly any relationship and there should be. Uh, what about that? Is there any hope for that? Well, uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, um, Paul is talking about a division that was there at the beginning of the church, and it was the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, now we know, uh, Tom said something about this at the prayer meeting on Monday night, but uh, the Jewish people did not want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. And they were obeying the Old Testament scriptures. Because you were not supposed to touch, if they touched, if they let somebody come into their house, they were considered unclean. Now, after Jesus Christ, God is building the church. And a new revelation is that not only the Jews, but the Gentiles also are coming into God's kingdom. And he is uniting them together as one body. Well, this was a difficult speed bump to get over for the early church. Uh, and how, how those who hated each other, who were enemies, in, in some way almost told by God that they were separate, how were they supposed to be united as one church? And all their different habits and backgrounds and culture that they came from were so different, how were they going to be united? This is what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So here's the thing. Do you believe that promise? God is our peace. Now, we don't have a lot of issues between Jews and Gentiles these days, at least not here, but uh, fill in the blank, you and who you don't agree with, who you are different from, whom you don't like, uh, who has you and who has hurt you in the past, you and the one who has offended you. It says that he, Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross, is our peace. And he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Do we believe that? That's the truth. Do you believe it, that he's already destroyed the dividing wall of hostility? How did he do it? Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. What is that talking about? It's talking about the cross. That in his flesh he, sac he sacrificed his body on the cross. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity 
out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Do you have hostility with anyone? Somebody is hostile to you? Do you feel uncomfortable with somebody else or worse? It's saying Jesus put that to death at the cross. We might say, oh, but you don't understand. This person has really hurt me. They sinned against me. Oh, did Jesus deal with that sin at the cross? Or did he forget to take that one up? He dealt, he put it to death at the cross. Whatever hostility, whatever hurt, whatever offense somebody may have done to you or you may have done to somebody else or your grandparents did to their grandparents has been done away with, <clears throat> done away with at the cross. And it's, it's powerless. Um, it's been dealt with. So what we see is there's a problem that we have that's a very, very real problem, but do you see that it's, it's been dealt with? That peace has been made available? He came, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Now I will say this, that the fullness of peace can't come unless both of us have Christ in us, that we, are, that we have faith, right? And that he is, we've been born again. But even if the person has not been born again, Jesus already dealt with the sin at the cross, amen? The forgiveness is available to them, for them to receive, right? They may not have received it yet, but the forgiveness is still available. The offense has been paid for, we have no right to demand any more payment for it. The blood of Jesus was enough. It was the highest price that could have possibly been paid. And it was paid for every sin. And so peace has been purchased. Peace has been made available through the cross. That's why even if the person is very offensive to you or the group of people is offensive to you, you can put on forgiveness. You've got it in your closet. It's in your dresser drawer, spiritually speaking. It's there, and you can put it on. And you can put on humility. And you can put on patience. And you can put on kindness. And over them all, you can put on love, which binds them all together. Why? Because he's got it, and he's in you, and he's dealt with it. Whatever the problem might be, he has dealt with it. Does that mean the problem will be instantly solved? No, not necessarily. But if we put on our clothes, it's going to get a lot better on our end. You can't control what the other person does on their end, but you can pray. And if you do it, and if Jesus is for unity, I think he is, then you have a majority. <laughs> and Jesus has ways and means. God has ways and means, and he's got power. And if the source of the problem has already been dealt with because of the cross, then I think victory is available. At least a greater measure of victory. 
and a greater measure of peace between brothers and sisters. If God can unite the Jews and the Gentiles, I think he can also break down whatever other dividing walls we've made. And uh, it's because of the cross of Jesus. And it's also because of the Holy Spirit. Now, especially if we're talking about in the church. How many Holy Spirits are there? Well, it says in Revelation there are seven. I'm not sure. And I think that means something different. But it doesn't mean one different one for each denomination. There is one Holy Spirit, and he unites us together, and he is not confused about who he is or what he believes. Amen? And if he is in them, he's in them. And he's in us. And he's not going to argue with himself. One of the enemy's chief strategies to harm and weaken us is to tempt us to strife and division in our churches and families. I think it drains a lot of power out of the church. It puts a lot of problems into our own lives. Um, the devil would like nothing better than to divide us and get us fighting with one another. But we should be aware of his strategy and understand that God has given us a his own strategy to overcome that. And uh, Paul, in the book of Philippians, talks about it. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. And he's talking about these two women who are evidently having some kind of disagreement. It's hard to pronounce their names, so we'll just skip the names. And what I want you to do today is, as we read it, I want you to put your name in first and think about somebody or some group that you have difficulty you feel offended by, you feel, uh, you just like, they're so different than I am. Put their name in the second slot, okay? Then let's read it. I plead with you, and I plead with your spouse, your friend, your brother or sister in the church, that other denomination, that other congregation, that family, I plead with both of you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these believers since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. I don't know if you know anybody named Clement. I don't. Whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I like that verse. I've said this before. If the Lord is in that person and the Lord is in you, how are you going to speak to that person knowing that the Lord is in them? When you speak to them, you speak to the Lord. How are you going to speak about that person knowing the Lord is in that person? I mean, I don't think if Jesus were in front of you, there are certain things we say to other people or think about other people that we probably wouldn't say if we were looking directly at Jesus in bodily form, right? But if that person is a believer, they are right. Jesus is in them, and you are speaking. The Lord is near, amen? And so let your gentleness be evident to all. It's in the drawer of, of your dresser. Put it on. It's not that you're naturally gentle, but 
it's Jesus who's naturally gentle, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And a lot of times we apply this to personal worry or fear, anxiety. But uh, how many of you know that a lot of the ways we mistreat people, the root cause of it is fear of some sort? And, uh, and yeah, but the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And so if we fear, a lot of times we need a revelation of love, God's love for us, in us, that's going to drive that fear out and cause us to stop reacting in that way to the people around us. You understand what I'm saying? So what does it say? Uh, rejoice, it says, put on your gentleness. Uh, when you have anxiety about an issue or a situation, take it in prayer to the Lord and give thanks for his answer. And verse 7, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's the battleground. A lot of people, I think Joyce Meyer has written a book about it. The battleground is in your mind. What are you thinking about? What are you allowing? What thoughts come to your mind? Are you going to let, you have a door that you are the doorkeeper for in your mind. Uh, are you going to let it in and meditate on it and think about it? Or are you going to say, nope, go away? Because I'll tell you, the enemy tries to knock on the door of your mind. I know he does mine. And God wants to speak through your heart into your mind as well. Right? And then you've got your own thoughts in your mind too. And sometimes those are good and sometimes those are not so good. But you are the gatekeeper of what goes on in your mind. And you can reject it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? And so it's saying, here, this is this part of the strategy. What are you thinking about? You know, sometimes I discover I've got stuff going through my mind. I'm like, wait a minute, why am I thinking about that? Like problems that have never happened, you know, or, or problems that did happen in the past. But why am I replaying them in my mind? You know, no, the, uh, I, I call that stinking thinking, stinking thinking. Get rid of that. Um, you can choose what goes through your mind. If you're having trouble, ask God to help you. I guarantee he can, he will. Okay? Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, think about uh, godly people you know and what's working for them. Put it into practice. What we see Jesus do in the Bible, what we see Paul or other godly people from the Bible, how they lived, let's put that into practice in our own lives. What these, all these teachings in the Bible. And then the final promise, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you believe it? 
You understand a lot of what I'm saying is about what are we believing about what's true? Yeah? And then I, I guess we do have a role in it, right? Put on these things. It's in you. It's, why, why are we able to do it? Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That's the source, right? Do you believe it? Do you believe it for salvation? Should we believe it for working out in our daily lives as well? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you are the God of peace. It is not your will for us to have strife. Not with brothers and sisters. No way. You want your family to be united. You want your loved ones to be united. You did say in this world you will have trouble, but you also said, take heart, I, will, I have overcome the world. And even when people don't know you and they're antagonizing us and disagreeing with us, Lord, we know it's your will for them to be saved. You've already paid the price for their sins and for ours. So, Father, this morning we, just, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you that you have worked peace and wholeness for us by the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross and by the Spirit of God that you've put in us. And we ask, Lord, that you would overflow with peace. And we ask that you would multiply grace in our lives, that we would put on compassion, that we would put on humility, that we would put on kindness and gentleness and over all these things that we would put on love and that you would bind us together oh lord bind your people together lord i pray healing for relationships i pray healing for families i pray healing for friendships that have been strained and i pray healing also for your whole church the body of christ in all the world that you would unite us together that we would um, love one another because you have first loved us. And Lord, if we have differences that need to be straightened out, we ask that you would guide us in your truth and correct us where we're in error. And Lord, help us also to be able to recognize when something is just our opinion, a disputable matter that should not be argued about, Help us to love one another. We thank you that you have loved us. Thank you for your power. We thank you that nothing is impossible for you. In Jesus' name, amen.